The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Raising capital or taking your business to the world? Investment Fix has everything you need to make it happen. This season, we're exploring the US market, the opportunities it offers, what it takes to grow a business there, and the best way to approach investors. The Investment Fix podcast. Tune in today. Running a stopwatch today. Because I have to be back at work. Yeah, at one forty. You've got the stopwatch running. Yeah, yeah let's go, let's go. Okay. Are we away? We're off, we're go. off. Go. Let's go. Tenakoto Kato, this is yeah. Gone by Lunchtime. Annabelle Lee has the stopwatch running because we have to finish in time for her to get back to work. What have you got going on at work? Um, I'm producing a series about Māori political legacies. So ironically, I've never known less about what's happening in politics than I do at this moment because <laughs> I've been so engrossed in that that I literally have Are you no, happy to like, speak at length about, the, the about Tariana Tudia? Yeah, that's right. I can tell you anything that happened in the 90s. Um, this has Gone By Lunchtime, brought to you by Flick Electric. You can click on the banner on any politics page on the spin-off and have a look at the sweet deal that they can provide to you. Uh, I have to begin by issuing a formal apology, which is to say that in the last podcast... We promised that we would have new theme music. I can't remember what else we promised. We were very rash, and when we say when I say we, I mean me. You basically Kiwi builded our audience. <laughs> it's so you true. made a big promise, <laughs> huge over promise. Totally... I am the Phil Twyford of Gone by Lunchtime. Um, it's been reshuffled. Now you're only in charge of intros. We've split up uh, the well. We split up. Discussion the will be of the run by Annabelle. That's right. Of we're going to have. T- and Tina is going to be in charge of gravelly yeah. voices. So. <laughs> we were going to have um, Kenny Rogers, the gambler, in honour of the oh, reshuffle. Yeah. Unfortunately, we encountered some um, intellectual property issues there when when, that went, when when I took that to our legal department. Yeah. Um, but if you're out there and you think you could do a cool jingle, um, we'd love you to send them to us. Send them to me at toby at thespinoff.co.nz. What's like, David Shearer doing Seriously, maybe you've got David Shearer. Are yeah, you out hey. there? Are you enlisting in South Sudan? Jamie Strange. Jamie Strange. Labour MP, Labour List MP. Jack Tame is popular. I've got the best story. Did you know there's a parliamentary band? Oh, yeah. What? I, I ran into Louisa Wall at the airport the other day, yeah. and she was telling me they have this cool, like, cross-party band, and they go and do cool gigs together. Yeah. There's one in Britain and it's called MP3 and then they added a member it was called MP4, which I thought was quite a good. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> the Westminster, the Westminster band. Um, but seriously, if the parliamentary band would like to, um, what is it? Just like an atonal jazz improv kind of found objects and kind of no, like something you'd hear at the audio well, foundation, just like lead, screeching lead feedback. Yeah. And Marta Davidson's in there. Uh-huh. Um, 
I can't remember. Oh, um, Shane Rizzi, who apparently is an incredible instrumentalist. Oh. He's a good guitarist. Shane, I'm very excited like a cool about guitarist, this. I think. I, I'm sure it's not true, but I can imagine Trevor Mallard doing animal from the Muppet style drumming. In the back. Mm, yes. But instead of using drumsticks, so, he'd be using babies. Just, are, have, have, have they approached Parliament's premier, John John Bonham? Oh. Simon Bridges? Oh. The Dave Grohl oh, of, of the New yes, Zealand that's Westminster that's his system? Brand. That's his Ooh. whole brand is the long videos drumming. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I think that's most of it. Most of our podcast covered. We can probably... Yeah, can if you it, yeah. do successfully send in... Um, <clears throat> a new jingle to us. We will reward you with a copy of, and this is a uh, segue on my part, a copy of the spin-off book, which this very morning uh, we had just done the final press pass on. Um, uh, and it's very cool, I think. Um, but it, you get a copy of that also if you join up to our spin-off members program, which we launched last week with a lot of fanfare, a lot of excitement. Um, and... Um, it's cool. What else do I need to say about that, Tina? Uh, let me. We're going to yeah. push the boat out on this. We're going to up the stakes. Oh. We're going to send you a signed copy. <laughs> <laughs> Why is that funny? <laughs> from the Gone by Lunchtime crew. Oh, from the a Gone def- by Lunchtime crew. A defaced copy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, we are. Um, you know you want a little piece of that. What more could you? What more could you want? We will even. We will even. If you. If you. We will even write you a little haiku. If you want, we could collaborate on a haiku. What are we meant actually going to talk about? We we started talking about Kiwi We're five builds, minutes so and we, we've got nothing. We need how to. How are we going for time? We're five minutes and we've, we haven't really. Um, I'm just looking I mean, at the list of things that we thought about. We we're going to talk about reshuffles. This was meant to be the pod of delivery. Ah. Mm. And nothing has nothing. happened. I, I beg to differ. I think we've shown that we have some real aspirations <laughs> with regard to the. It's true. We've Thank made a lot you. of promises we've about put the a book. Big, we've put a big carrot out there for sure. Yeah. Um, and we, yes, we've encountered some problems along the way in this podcast. In We're terms all carrot of and no stick. That's the, um, the... Proc- procurement. Let's let's not talk about Gone by Lunchtime anymore. Let's talk about the spin-off political podcast program, oh. which will still continue. Yes. It's still very much alive. Yes. But let's just move it away from talking about a particular pod with particular people. This is an um, extended metaphor to describe the way that the Kiwi, the the housing uh, portfolio has been split into three parts under the reshuffle announced by Jacinda Ardern a few days back. And Phil Twyford has been given, what's he been given? Urban development. Urban development and planning. And Uh, the main part of that is RMA reform. Basically, it's an acknowledgement. And what? Pop-up stores. Pop-up stores. Yeah, that's that's the main main thing. Pop-up stores. Um. Uh, that has been interpreted to various degrees as a demotion, certainly an acknowledgement. I think the Prime Minister went so far as to say that Kiwi Build had, I don't know what word she used, but it had failed to do what they'd hoped it would do. It's, it's been a bit of a there aren't fuck any up, houses. I think is the technical term, isn't it? I think that's the problem. The, the Not n- as many houses as they had wanted, i.e. none. Mm. Well, one one hundred and forty-four, none of which were actually built as a result of the Kiwi Build program. Some of which were sort of bought off the plans of pre-existing apartment developments, like by our friends, the spin-offs friends at Ockham. Um, some of which were previous government builds from the national government's affordable housing program, with sort of Kiwi Build stickers on the front. 
Um, yeah, so Kiwi Build, or the Government Build Program, or whatever it's going to be called, was given to Megan Woods, who's quite an, probably, I'd say, the most anonymous high-ranking minister in this government. Not in Christchurch. No, no, that's true. Hi, so she's in charge of what Christchurch regeneration science and energy. But she was sort of, she was towards the, uh, she was kind of in the back row when they were banning oil and gas exploration hmm. uh, in Taranaki. She hasn't had a huge profile, I wouldn't have thought. And it strikes me as a slightly strange... Or, or at least a kind of unexplained sort of new responsibility she, for her. She did her PhD thesis, did she not, in something to do with urban urban regeneration? Uh, it okay. was the gendered aspects of the Maori migration to the cities. I I feel I feel you really shocked by you that. I really shook. Wow. I thought that she was a that medical doctor all these times, but she was actually a gendered urbanism doctor. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, Hey, but, but, but she's got the prognosis for Kiwi Build. Would it maybe help to? Oh, I see what you did there. Um, would it help if maybe the government partnered with like Skyline Garages and Lockwood Homes to get those puppies up? Richie McCaw. Just throwing it out there. His, what, Rich, what were the houses that he was promoting? I feel like Richie McCaw needs to have <clears> a role. Maybe Richie could be the under secretary for. Helicopters and homes. I mean, part of the problem is too many people living in garages, Helipads. I think. I don't know if that's the solution. But, I mean, th- this is part of the problem, right, is that, you know, often this government is kind of parodied as former student politicians and student council members, and you see this aspect of them in promises like Kiwi Build. Henry Cook from Stuff did a fantastic piece it was basically an oral history of Kiwi Build uh, from genesis to complete failure. And it started with a discussion by Annette King in the back of a car with Campbell Roberts of the Salvation Army talking about a much smaller project that the Salvation Army had done. Annette King going, well, that's a good idea. Why don't we do 50,000 homes like that? And Campbell Roberts sort of being a bit sort of looking at her a bit askance and doubting whether that was feasible and then David Shearer ratcheting up the rhetoric on it and then promising 100,000 houses when it went public. Mm. And there was never any real testing or work done to see whether this was achievable. Um, some good work done by uh, Janae Tribshraini on interest.co.nz where she spoke with an economist who said, you know, actually the New Zealand economy is basically at capacity we can't just vote new houses into existence. We mm. have to have a trained construction workforce. We have to have uh, affordable materials. We have to have land supply. You know, none of this can be done just as a purely government regulation thing. The only the only thing that government can do in terms of regulating this uh, is getting rid of the planning constraints, which is what Phil Twyford is going to be able to concentrate on now in the urban development area of housing and RMA reform, which will be removing some of those impediments to building, you know, denser or medium density or homes, you know, outside the current urban limits, which has, you know, really stymied the construction of new houses in Auckland. So the other thing that Phil Twyford hasn't failed on, not yet, um, and actually most people hold out a lot of hope for, 
is this Urban Development Authority, or UDA, mm. which is going to be this kind of planning czar organization which will be able to go in and not you know at the margins compulsorily acquire land but moreover you know bypass the resource consenting process from councils who do tend to be anti-development no matter how how high-minded their governance like the the um, Auckland city plan are or the unitary plan so that will be something he can work on and you know that will probably come out you know that will have a much more tangible effect than just voting a hundred thousand houses to come into existence is that true though being about like all they could do is like control the legislation around it and make it easier to get consents and all of that stuff like could they not have done more in terms of like heavy investment into like places where you can prefabricate houses and you know, all of that sort of stuff. I mean, for example, yeah. you know, the Unitech land's been sitting there for ages. Is that like, could they have not started whacking stuff up if there'd been a bit more kind of investment in the nuts and bolts side of it? I realise you need like a skilled workforce, but the way technology is changing um, construction, surely we could have been a bit more innovative. And in that regard, it's not solely Phil Twyford's fault, is it? Like, probably it needed more bigger thinking going on. There's a couple of things they could have done using the sort of giant checkbook of the state. The first thing would be to just pay for new water connections and roads and infrastructure to allow new houses to go in, because that's actually one of the biggest barriers. They could have yeah, invested in, you know, prefab, you know, speculative prefab stuff. I mean, if they wanted to do it in one go, they could have contracted a state-owned construction company from China it said send 10,000 people over to build a new city the size of Hamilton and just hand it over one lump sum and that would probably get done because then you outsource all of the logistical issues um, to these companies of scale that can obviously do this because they, they put up huge cities in China all the time but then there would be a level of discomfort around immigration about temporary workforces about jobs going overseas so maybe there were political barriers to that but we're, what, we're, what they couldn't do just to have homeless people than have that all that other stuff going on well there's a good i mean <clears throat> there's a good argument that goes instead of messing around with all this kind of trying to address these middle market issues just to build a whole have a massive state house building program i've know? always thought that i mean we've talked about this a lot the focus needs to be on social housing and if if you ad- address social housing, which is where the dire need is, then you know in terms of the issue around affordability for first home buyers, that starts to naturally correct itself anyway because the the pressure's been taken off. And in fairness to the government, they have made some progress in, in those areas, and you feel as though, and that's quite often the line that comes back when criticisms are made of Kiwi Build that um, uh, the prime minister will point to the progress in state house building, social housing. Um, and so you kind of think, well, if that's working, why not just scale that up and just acknowledge that Kiwi Build didn't, didn't work. Meanwhile, the on the other side of the house, there was reshuffle action there too, um, uh, prompted after Amy Adams suddenly had a look at her life and her work and decided that she would not like to be the shadow spokesperson for finance any more in fact not like to be in parliament anymore 
and announced she was going, which came as a surprise. I don't think that was very. There's two ways of looking spotted. at it. The first is the human way. She's been in Parliament for a long time. She was a senior-ranked minister. She was a very good justice minister who did some important reforms in the area of sexual violence and domestic violence. She was probably an adequate ICT minister and communications minister. Uh, She had a host of other sort of more minor portfolios. And she may have thought, look, I'm not going to be Prime Minister. I missed out on the leadership last year for National. My heart's not in it anymore, so I'm just going to call time. And other reasonably successful politicians have done that. The other way of looking at it is in the absence of I predict and betting markets on the outcome of next year's election, it's certainly not a vote of confidence in National's ability to mm. win the election mm. at this stage. She, If National was going to be in government after the election. She would be the finance minister, which is the most powerful uh, portfolio by a long way. Number two, only to the prime minister, gives you a huge amount of power to you know, pursue your goals in terms of policy. And this is you know, probably not a great sign for how National feels that it's tracking mm. coming up to the election. Mm. And it's not exactly like Treasury's the sexy beast that it used to be, is it, after all the fuck-ups there lately? It's not like, ooh, I want to be the boss of Treasury. She typed her own name into the Treasury (laughs) website search engine and it didn't come up with anything. (laughs) So she saw that there was no future for her. (laughs) Um, uh, um, Annabelle, are you all right there? Yeah, just adjusting my chair. By the way, we're more than halfway through, so... How are we going? Just, we're over halfway through. Okay, we'll keep moving. Um, then Paul Goldsmith was elevated. Uh, there was some that we had kind of about three hours to speculate wildly about what would happen to the finance um, portfolio with National. And uh, could have been Judith, couldn't it? Judith ended up getting reshuffled, reshuffled out of her... Infrastructure. Infrastructure. Is that, was that the but, demotion that you get when you're... When you're not getting a demotion? Well, it was weird. It I'm, was, I'm confused There was a very it. Judith Collins Is moment. Is it a passive-aggressive yeah. shuffle? That's what it feels like, a little it, bit passive. Because infrastructure is not a real portfolio. It's not a real portfolio in government. It was invented under the John Key government and just sort of given to Bill English and then Stephen Joyce. But it, it doesn't have its own department. You know, it's got, I think, three people in Treasury who are the infrastructure unit who just do a stock take of all the government's assets every year. Mm. It's it's not a policy portfolio. Shane Jones has it as a sort of sop in government right now. It, oppositions didn't tend to have infrastructure portfolio holders except in order to ask questions. But... It's not re- It's not a real portfolio. It's a kind of made-up one. Is it kind of like when we had the Ministry of Textiles or whatever it was? <laughs> no, it's, 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 it's only new. It's only, it's only been around for 10 years um, because, the, because John Key was talking about infrastructure in the lead-up to the mm. 2008 election and a promise was that we would have a Minister for Infrastructure to get this cohesive, coherent plan so that we wouldn't have people fucking around messing up Kiwi Build because there would be, as they call it, a pipeline of big 
projects, you know, planning for our future. and Squirting out our future everywhere. Yeah, and in the end we got the Waterview Tunnel finally completed. But there there isn't a coherent government infrastructure plan. There aren't any new ways of funding these things. Everyone always, under the national government, people talked about private-public partnerships. Now I think they talk about infrastructure bonds. But there's, there's nothing really happening in that portfolio apart from listing all of the bits of concrete and buildings that the government owns. And which makes it all the more puzzling as to why you would take it away from Mm. Judith Collins, because it's not a portfolio that gets any action either way. Mm. Paul Goldsmith doesn't benefit in terms of how he can hold Grant Robertson to account by having this infrastructure portfolio. I guess it means he can continue to pursue Shane Jones in Parliament, but it does seem like a bit of a slap in the face. To Judith. And when she was asked about it on Morning Report, there was a very she there was a very pregnant pause and she said, Well, I was I was in a course. There were some messages on my phone, but I found out through the media. And this in her very you know, very Judith Collinsy <laughs> type way. So I'm just stating some facts. I'm not complaining. Obviously it's fine, but you know, every kind of dripping with this kind of faux Innocence. I don't know what it was. It's it's interesting. Like it's just it's a it's a constant in that caucus, and it would have been a bold. I mean, Paul Goldsmith is a good fit, right? You know, like he he's got a good grip on 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 that subject. That's fine. In, but in terms of the Judith in Collins caucus, is yeah. Judith Collins is unequivocally, incontestably the most effective opposition front venture, right? Mm. No one would argue with that. I don't think that's arguable, yeah. Mm. Um, and so it would have been a big call. It would have been – I'm not saying there, are, there aren't any arguments against it, but to go, all right, here you go. You know, Labor's – consistently Labor's vulnerability has been around finance, largely for reasons of perception as much as anything else, but it's still a vulnerability. Stick your most powerful – uh, your most powerful parliamentary performer up against Grant Robertson and see how it rolls. Mm. Mm. Because I there is that this... was given approximately zero seconds mm-hmm. of thought, right? There, there is this Cut school of thought, <laughs> the keep your enemies or your perceived enemies closer if you think Judith Collins is the biggest threat to your leadership, yeah. which, I mean, she is whether she's after it or not yeah. because of her appearance in the preferred PM polls. Do you want to, you know, you can either demote them entirely, as was done to David Cunliffe by David Shearer. Uh, that doesn't solve any problems because they're in op- opposition in particular, they're still free to agitate. Or you can sort of buddy up to them, bring them super close the way that Helen Clark did to Michael Cullen after his leadership uh, bid against mm. her. And they formed, they created a formidable team. Siegfried and Roy, you know, the guys who did the the magicians with the tigers. Mm. I mean, eventually one of them got mauled by the tiger, but they had a lot of good years before. (laughs) A lot of people were entertained and they made a lot of money. And... Is I, w- I would su- I would surmise that that's a better outcome than just finding the tiger and picking a fight with it immediately. Right. So you or you could Perfect. you could you could drown the tiger, but then no one would come to your show. <laughs> that's right. And you just sink into obsolescence. Yeah. That said, Paul Goldsmith, I think, will do a very capable job. He he's been a good performer. No tiger against. <laughs> he's been a good performer uh, against Shane Jones on the provincial growth fund mm. stuff. 
you know, Robertson, I think, is still getting to grips with the portfolio. He is not being supported by a strong treasury right yeah. now. Um, amazing he has that sort of spin-off. He feels a bit like a sort of very effective primary school treasurer, though, doesn't he? <laughs> Come into my office and I want to ask you a few points about these, these, these expenses. You know, there's something a little bit which maybe is good. But it's also it's just he's not he's not a tiger. That's what I'm trying to say. He's he's very dry. Uh, he's not terrifying though, is what what Toby's saying. Eh? I guess a little bit terrifying. I do find primary school uh, kind of, I, I think but not a, not in a tiger. Not in a oh, way more. Oh <laughs> shit! I'm going to have to <laughs> fiddle my expenses more successfully next time. Way you know? Yeah. Like, um, yeah. Um, to 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 on a, on a much more serious subject, Annabelle Lee, the mm. Oranga Tamariki uplift story, um, which was uh, broken by Newsroom a few weeks ago now. Mm-hmm. You uh, you had Tracy Martin on the show, did you? Yeah, we had week? her. We had her on the weekend. How do you? What do you make of her response to to the story? I thought it was interesting. One of the the issues that she raised. Um, during our interview is that in fact some of the issues that we're seeing here are justice issues because what we talked to her about in the weekend is um, parents that do have their children uplifted once they've gone, jumped through every hoop that Oranga Tamariki wants them to jump through, you know, mothers are losing their kids because they've been in violent domestic you know mm. situations and then their kids get ripped off them understandably but you know they're not provided any counseling or given the opportunity they're not you know moved as a group to a, to a safe house or anything like that so they're left to their own devices they then jump through the hoops you know they the, the lady that we interviewed she'd broken up with the husband she'd done nine parenting um, courses. She had gone and got herself qualified and was a carer, done all of this stuff, and she still couldn't get her kid back. And Tracy Martin says that one of the issues that parents in that situation faces is actually a, a justice issue, which is even if Oranga Tamariki do support the parents getting their kids back, that um, you know, lawyer for the child yeah. can. <coughs> Um, can ask can can block that from happening. So it was an interesting thing that I hadn't considered, but I still think that it actually doesn't answer the question, which is, you know, we're getting contacted constantly by women who have had their children m- removed, sometimes in really distressing circumstances, like babies literally getting taken away while they're breastfeeding. And um, those mothers aren't being given any sort of support or guidance or anything. So it's like, if it's about Oranga Tamariki, if we're to be true to the name of that organisation, mm. and we believe that um, that Fano and particularly mothers are a part of a child's well-being, you can't take their kid away and then not offer them any support for their supposed failings. So. It's a big, complicated issue. So but fraught. I was pleased that the minister fronted up. Yeah. <coughs> yep. And it's that thing, is every single case, the ones that have been covered, every single one has got so many complications involved with them. Well, yes and no. Like, I think, you know, um, Aaron Smale's article um, on Newsroom the other day hit the nail on the head. It's actually mm. not that complicated. It's singular, singular and it's economic. And when people don't have... Uh, the finances to, um, you know, make a better lives for themselves. And mm. that's when you get 
you know, stuck in these situations. And it's also something that Celia Lashley used to talk about too. So we've now got this, like, I've lost count of the number of inquiries that are four, underway. Four, four inquiries. Yeah, and is that, I mean, is you, do you have a sense of whether that is going to address the problem properly, or are they all, I, don't, I mean... Uh, well, I think it's always difficult when the state investigates itself. It's a bit like the Waitangi Tribunal and, you know, all of that sort of stuff. Like, is it really appropriate for... Oranga Tamariki to be investigating itself. Well, it's better than not investigating itself, but I think, you know, um, at the moment, some of these mothers, they have less rights than criminals because at least criminals can go to the Court of Appeal Mm. if they don't agree with the decision. These women don't even have that right. So I think there really needs to be probably more consideration given to how the whole system Works and perhaps something like the you know independent police complaints authority, where there is like a place where families can go and have their concerns independently heard and assessed. And it's all kind of ambulance at the bottom of the cliff stuff, though, isn't it? Well, yeah. By definition, this is you know extreme and urgent cases. Part of the issue is that it's been framed in its current incarnation, this discussion, in terms of that newsroom investigation. And part of me sort of thinks that you would have a very different public debate if instead of 30 minutes of obvious traumatic and gut-wrenching scenes of state officials taking away a child, a newborn, from its mother, and then you know, one paragraph sort of discussing, well, you know, the mother and her partner both have high and complex needs. If instead you spent half an hour discussing the high and complex needs of the parents and then you just said, oh, and the baby was taken away, you know, uplifted shortly after birth, you would actually get a very different narrative on that. Now, that doesn't, I mean, you, you actually need to look at both things, obviously. But, you know, there has been some pretty wild especially initially there were some pretty wild statements that you know all uplifts must stop and I don't think I think now that things have settled down everyone sort of agrees that's not the case you know there are children who do need to be protected from their parents Um, then some people have talked about well you know it's a process thing you know it shouldn't be sort of a, a midnight raid and then there are other issues you know involved in that which is that you know, parents don't want to give up their kids, obviously. And you're not going, it's never going to be easy. You know, it's never going to be an easy process. I actually think there needs to be probably maybe even a Royal Commission of Inquiry. Normally I sort of tend to resist those sorts of calls. But at this stage, I think there's such a lack of confidence in Oranga Tamariki, Mm. especially among Māori communities, that actually there, there does need to be you know, a very high-status independent body looking at the whole practice, not just the Hawke's Bay case, to to get some sort of answers. Yeah, and I'm not... I mean, obviously, there are absolutely cases where children do need to be removed from, from their parents for their safety, but if you are to look at the Hawke's Bay example, there's a mother who's never even had the chance to do anything wrong because her first child got whipped away literally from the maternity suite and here she is with her newborn surrounded by very supportive midwives, so iwi that want to keep the family together as well and her, her family are all there 
it's pretty hard to justify why between the hours of what was it nine at night and three o'clock in a hospital surrounded by medical experts that child was in imminent danger which was the reason that it was you know the grounds for which it was uplifted and what we do know too is that children and particularly Māori are more likely to be abused in state care so we can't just have this sledgehammer approach preventative approach that actually ends up causing more damage than it, you know, than the supposed danger that it saves these kids from. And of course, there's times when kids need to be removed. There was a story in the, on RNZ the other day about the woman who, you know, who horrifically abused her children, and the school were aware of it. The oldest child ended up committing suicide. And you have to wonder where was Oranga Tamariki on that occasion. That might, you know. I don't know enough of the details, but it, it seems strange that a child in a hospital with its mum surrounded by people is considered to be in imminent danger, and then we have other situations where there really is clear and present danger, yeah. and they remain in the care of their parents. So I, I, yeah, we ha- it, there needs to be it needs to be a more strategic approach, in yeah, my opinion. And, I, and and that's why I think they're needs to be an actual independent inquiry, not just these piecemeal ones that mm. have been announced. Well, it does feel as well we've got the, the we've got a Royal Commission into Abuse and State Care underway. Um, and I mean I think that's probably right, a big query, but there's a definite overlap. That Venn diagram has quite a big intersection in, in, in those two. That's right? the irony. It's like here we are having an inquiry about historical abuse and state care when we know that, you know, kids are still being abused in state care and it's like why would you just keep it historic when it's when it's ongoing and and what's the point if you're not going to sort address what's going on right now today so that we can prevent it happening again of course you know it's great that there is a historic one but then there needs to be more sense of urgency um, to what's happening right now. Yeah, I, th- I think that's why you'd keep it separate is because, you know, the practices have changed over the years and you'd want to be looking at what exactly Oranga Tamariki's mandate and its operational oh my practices God. are right now. Oh, my God, have we gone over? <sighs> we've got to finish. We haven't, we've, we, we, how much time have we got? Sorry to cut across you, but we've got to go to our, we've got a funny topic to end with and okay. that's, that's death. Let's go funsies. <laughs> <laughs> it's euthanasia was the last one. We, we haven't we don't got time to talk about euthanasia. Well, the the interesting thing about euthanasia is that you know I, to- I totally understand the desire to die with dignity. Certainly, I'd like to think it would be an option for me should I end up in a horrific um, situation. Whether or not I actually choose to is another thing, but knowing that you have the mana motuhake and the tenorangatiratanga to decide your own destiny in that situation I think is important. But then on the flip side, you know, we've got the Waitangi Tribunal Health Report, mm. which shows that, you know, Māori are so horrendously failed by the health system that how do we, I mean, there's got to, any responsible person would have to have serious concern about what the potential impacts of this legislation is going to be on Māori. So it's a really important, interesting issue and I, I hope that all our politicians put their their strap on their big girl undies it and their big boy undies and be grown ups about it. I don't know if you saw any of the debate but I watched some of it on Parliament TV um, 
and I was really impressed by the, um, not 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 uniformly, but it's a conscience vote, and most of the people who spoke, some of them had changed their mind, which in itself is quite refreshing in yeah. a place where everyone seems so kind of partisan and tribal so mm. often, um, and talking about drawing on personal experiences, but also thinking quite deeply about philosophical implications, people who have had their, you know, people who, it's kind of interesting listening to middle class people for whom it seemed quite a straightforward issue, hearing from others who've come from different backgrounds or who are exploring issues around, say, tikanga or issues around disability or whatever, not... The, not the kind of religious dog, dog, dogmatic stuff, which I respect but find quite boring because that's sort of mm. very, you know, straight up and down. It's quite a good debate. I mean, I, I should should say that I'm, what I'm talking about is David Seymour's end-of-life choice bill, which passed its second reading the other night and will now go to a third reading, but it passed with a few people still backing it to go to committee stage who uh, may go back the other way. I think it was 10 votes or something like that. And it was 70 to 50, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah I, <clears throat> there's a lot of variables in play. So the New Zealand First Caucus will support it if it goes to referendum at the next election, but they won't support it at the third reading if it doesn't go to referendum. Seymour and many of his allies are willing to support the referendum call. Some people, I think probably including the Prime Minister, won't be voting for it to be a referendum, but would would vote for it at the third reading in any case. But say if they were to vote, if if any of those people were to vote against mm. the referendum SOP, then New Zealand First would drop it. And its then you've got votes. on top of all that Maggie Barry, who's the most vocal opponent of the bill in the House, uh, threatening to put in as many as a hundred SOPs, which would be. Um, in effect, a filibuster on 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 the whole legislative process, which would make her the least popular member of her caucus, as national MPs try and advance their own private members' bills uh, past this morass of the committee of the whole house. Mm. Um, it's it's interesting because you know, as a smug urban liberal, <clears throat> I often think that religion and the role that it plays in adults' lives is very similar to. A sports club or a high school you used to attend, just kind of passing interest. And in the national government um, that I worked for, there were six Catholics on the front bench at one point. And you started to see just how much of an influence it is, you know, on, on their day-to-day lives. Mm. Um, you know, which, you know, again, as a sort of, you know, urban atheist, agnostic, whatever, I had never really given a lot of thought to, you know, the role that faith plays as an active and real thing in political decision-making for people. Annabelle, you've got to run. Have you got anything else to, to add no. on, on, on that? I'm done. You're done? Yeah. You're through? I'm done. Well, thank you. Um, I got uh, it all uh, out. Um, uh, I don't know if I mentioned it, but we're going to work on a new theme for the next next <laughs> next episode. I want to say a big thank you to Flick Electric for sponsoring the politics section and keeping us going. They to actually Tina, bought me a clothes dryer. To Tina Tiller. Thank you, Tina, for producing us and being wonderful in every way. And also, what is it? The spinoff.co.nz slash members. And also Ben Thomas and Annabelle Lee Mather. And I'm Toby McMahon. I'm just talking. I'm just keeping going. It's just a great keep source on. of... Keep of, fade this out. Fade it out. Fade it out. Fade it out.
Talo for Lover. I'm Madeline Chapman, editor at The Spinner. If you have the means, consider supporting our high-quality journalism by becoming a Spinoff member. Sign up now at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. Kia ora e te iwi, te Aihe Butler here, podcast manager at The Spinoff. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spinoff member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.